In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today we are dumped in the middle of a heated theological debate between Jesus and the Jews. Now it seems that these Jews, or at least some number of them, at one time believed in Jesus. But now his words make them angry. And so it is to this day, there are those who were baptized and catechized in the church who now take offense at Jesus' words. Now although these Jews oppose Jesus, Every word that flowed from his lips is truth, so they cannot refute anything he says. And this makes them even angrier. The sinful nature wants to believe that it is a true Christian, even though it doesn't want to hear God's words. And because they don't want to hear his words, Jesus says that they are of their father, the devil. Harsh words indeed from our Lord. Maybe you don't want to be associated with that kind of Jesus. Maybe you wish you could apologize for him, offer him a defense that he didn't mean to be so mean or so brash. Now this kind of gospel reading is hard to listen to. And as you can imagine, it means that whatever the preacher is going to say about the text... That might be hard for us sinners to hear as well. And so you're probably tempted to tune out. So I want you to hear something up front to frame this entire sermon. Because even though Jesus is in the midst of his fiercest theological battle of his entire ministry, he is also preaching the gospel to those who oppose him. And so Jesus is saying everything here out of love for those who are before him. So in this argument in our gospel, there's a recurring theme, the mention of Abraham. The Jews believe they are Abraham's children of promise, and yet they reject what Abraham believed. So what is it that Abraham believed? Well, if today's Old Testament is any indication, it seems that Abraham believed in child sacrifice. Well, if you thought what Jesus had to say was hard, then probably even more uncomfortable now. God, in our Old Testament, demands human sacrifice. He tells Abraham to do it, and Abraham goes to obey. Now, some try to explain this away as though it was a sort of game of theological chicken. God, it seems, blinked first, and Abraham won. Now, it is a test, but it isn't a test to see who would give in first, as though Isaac's life were something to be gambled with. The test is whether Abraham would give his son to God or keep him for himself. But still, the way that God instituted for this to happen is a father I can't even begin to imagine what that was like. And we know that every thought and action begins in the heart. So before Abraham obeys God, he has already resolved in his heart to do what God said. 
But the question remains for us, is God condoning evil here? I think there's something God said at one time about not murdering, didn't he? And if he did, wouldn't this be against his own word? And what about all that stuff about not offering your children to the flame, sacrificing them to Baal and Moloch? God calls that an abomination. Now, the truth is, the real issue here is a question of false worship. Why would you offer your children up to gods that cannot save, gods who cannot hear or answer your prayers? And so that's why those sacrifices were wrong. All throughout the scriptures, the Lord is clear. There are only two kinds of worship. Either you worship the true God according to his word, or you worship a false god, a demonic power. And that's what Jesus has set before the Jews in today's gospel. Either they will believe the truth about Jesus, or they will follow the devil and believe his lies. There is no third option. So that means when the Old Testament people of God offered their children to idols, they weren't offering them to something inert or indifferent. Offering children to idols is offering children to lies, sacrificing them to the father of lies and his demons. Now, to our enlightened world, though, this idea of human sacrifice is just too foreign. It's just too strange, and it belongs far, far in the distant past. No one in our advanced modern age would slay their child on an altar before an idol, would they? But you know better. You know that technology hasn't taken away the need for such sacrifice. It's only made it more sophisticated and hidden it from our view. Now, I'm sure you're well aware of the most obvious kind of child sacrifice that happens today, but I want to be careful about how I talk about it. Because it can be easy to look at an evil and say that it's something that happens out there in the big bad world, but we ourselves are, are free of it. That we're too sophisticated to sin in this way. And so rather our first inclination should be to pray. To pray for God and his mercy and his forgiveness. To pray for all those who find themselves in difficult situations. And so that when we think about something like abortion. In the church, we need to think about what it means, not in political terms, but in religious ones. What does it mean theologically that something like one of five pregnancies in America ends in abortion? It means that children are sacrificed, though not on an altar of wood or stone, It means that moms and dads give up their children for all sorts of reasons, to escape from pain or poverty, or in the name of convenience, to gain freedom from responsibility, or or some other human purpose. But theologically, the reasons that such children are given up, these reasons aren't the true God, and therefore they are false gods. Now, I don't point this out to be shocking or to show how evil certain sins are. 
but so that you can see the thinking that happens behind it. After all, this really isn't the only way that people sacrifice their children. I'm sure you've heard of the father who gives up being with his family so he can move ahead at work, sacrificing his children for his career. It's not a bloody sacrifice or or even necessarily physically painful. There's no knife, there's no altar, and yet it is a real sacrifice to a false god. Or what about another father who constantly tells his children how important it is that they attend school, how good it is to be faithful and loyal to one's friends, how they should work hard and take responsibility and reach for the stars. That kind of father gets an A-plus from our world. And yet, if that's all the father says, he has still offered his children to something. He has offered them to the God of success, of making money and being comfortable and taking pride in one's work. He has taught his children to offer themselves to false gods as well. When Christian faith isn't the most important, these other things become false gods. And if they are false gods, then they aren't empty things. They are demonic. That means the world's most commended practice is for that you would offer your loved ones to demons. Now, we know that this is far better than the pagan father who slays and burns his son on the altar of a stone god. But it is still an offering. And so we know that everyone makes sacrifices. So every family has a family altar and a God to which they make sacrifices. So therefore, consider, dear saints, what kind of family gods you have erected. What sorts of things have you offered your children and family to? Could it be money or time or leisure? Good grades and success? Physical health? And this isn't just about children and other family members. This is about you. It's about your heart. You are either you are always either offering yourself to God or to the devil. To whom do you make your sacrifices? And what or whom do you offer in sacrifice? The devil wants to convince you that if you actually believe God's word, if you sacrifice everything to Jesus, then you'll lose everything of value. You'll lose your reputation, your friends, and even your own family. But the devil is a liar and the father of all lies. In today's gospel, the Jews claim Abraham as their father, but they reject Jesus. Abraham had faith that his descendants don't. Abraham's children are fighting back against Jesus, the very God and Lord whom Abraham himself worshipped. Their fingers twitch, eager to pick up rocks and bash them into his head to kill him. They follow the father of lies and believe like he does. And so this shows us a sad lesson. No matter how faithful one might be, even if he offers his children to God, 
He cannot have full certainty that his descendants will also be entirely faithful. Faith in Jesus doesn't come by DNA or by bloodline. Faith is an act of God the Holy Spirit. And so you can't coerce your children into the faith or force them to believe. And yet, at the same time, it's also true that faith in Christ often runs alongside a family tree. That godly fathers and mothers see their children or grandchildren remain steadfast. It's great if your children become successful in this life, if they become doctors and nurses and lawyers, engineers and accountants and electricians, welders and plumbers. It's pleasing if they become wealthy and live happy, healthy lives. We know that all these things are good. But these should not be your chief aim. Because all these benefits are fleeting. And so pray rather that they would stand firm in the Christian faith. In fact, I think for parents and for grandparents, the highest honor that you can get in this life is to have godly children who also raise their children in the word of God. And so that's what you pray for and seek after. And yet, if like these Jews in today's gospel, if those who come after you reject the faith, it shouldn't be entirely a surprise, nor should it be a reason for you to stop your prayers Mothers and fathers should be diligent in training their children to follow Christ so that if they do fall away, it shouldn't be because of our own neglect. So maybe think about this question. If someone were to ask your children what their parents think is most important for them, what do your parents most want for you? How would they answer? Did I get good grades? that I get a good job, that I'm successful, that I'm happy and healthy. And if they don't include in their list, at the very least, something about faith in Christ Jesus, then maybe you need to rethink your family priorities. But then, also, when you've done all you can, you commend your children and your loved ones to your Lord, asking for his forgiveness where you failed, and all of us parents have. You commend your children to the Lord's mercy, crying out to him in prayer, and trusting in his forgiveness. And for you children, and by that I mean if you're 5 or 45 or 85, just because your parents have or, or had the faith of Abraham doesn't mean that you also do. These Jews claimed Abraham as their father, but they couldn't have been more opposed to what Abraham believed. They thought they were like Abraham, that God considered them righteous because they obeyed like Abraham did. Now, when it comes to the story of Abraham, this shocking part of this passage isn't that God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son, but that Abraham does it. Abraham knows that everything he has received is a gift from God, so it can all be offered to God as a sacrifice. Not like the offering to a man-made idol, 
This offering is made to the God who loves Isaac even more than Abraham ever possibly could. Abraham could give his son back to the Lord as an offering, and the Lord would keep his promise. For if Abraham did the opposite, if he kept Isaac away from the altar and kept Isaac alive, Abraham would be taking the fulfillment of God's promise into his own hands. He would be making a sacrifice to his own pride, a sacrifice apart from faith and without God's word. So Abraham knew that the best thing for Isaac was for Isaac to belong to God. Abraham could give up his son because he believed God's word. Now the Jews thought it was all entirely about obedience. They didn't understand the promise. And so Jesus says to them, Abraham saw my day and he was glad. But which which day of Jesus is he talking about? Jesus had lots of days on this earth. The highest and the best day is the day that Jesus gives up his life for sinners. And when did Abraham see that day? It was on that day recounted for us in our Old Testament. When Abraham watched his son, his only son, carry the wood of the mountain, when he tied him down to the wood on the altar, when he, a father who loved his son, raised his hand to slay his only son. Remember that God had made promises about Isaac, that through this son, God would bless the whole world. But now God says, kill the child of promise. If Isaac dies, God's promises die with him. But Abraham trusted in God's promise. He knew that the Lord was trustworthy Abraham knew that if he sacrificed Isaac to God, that God would somehow, someday, raise him up again. And through him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Does all this begin to sound a little familiar? This is the family through whom God would save the world. God will sacrifice his own son, and he offers him up because He's already decided in his heart to offer his son on behalf of sinful humanity. No wonder Abraham is willing to give his only son to God. God is willing to give everything to Abraham. So which God would you rather offer sacrifices to? That God, the one who gives his only beloved son to shed his blood for you, or to the devil? who was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. We sing in the hymn all the vain things that charm me most. I sacrifice them to his blood. And so see what the image of Isaac being sacrificed points to. See how on Monday, Thursday, the father hands over his son. And when that son on Good Friday is bound to the wood of the cross, there is no one to stay the father's hand. And he slays his son, making the sacrifice for your sins. So better than any human father, Abraham knows what our heavenly father has done for us as he gave his only son as a sacrifice for our sins. 
Abraham knows what it's like to consider this. Fathers, you can imagine what it might be like to have to consider this for your son. But you don't actually have to consider it. So Abraham has a kind of insight into the father's love. And yet, what Abraham knows is only in part because he didn't have to go through with it. Instead, he was able to put an innocent lamb in his son's place. An innocent lamb on the altar in the place of a sinner who deserves death. That's what Abraham sees. And that's why Abraham rejoices. And so Abraham names that place. The Lord will provide. Not past tense, not about what God had done. Future tense, about the Lord, what the Lord will do. For the Heavenly Father will offer his Son, even on that mountain, for all sinners, for Abraham and for his son Isaac, and for you. The day that Abraham saw was the day that Jesus died. And seeing this death, he doesn't mourn or weep. He rejoices. For in this death, his guilt is removed. Do you want to know what your Lord loves about you the most? He is most pleased that you also look to the day that made Abraham rejoice. That you look to the day of Jesus dying for your sins. In fact, I don't think anything better could be said about any one of us after our death than this. He saw the Lord's day, and he was glad. Abraham saw the day of Jesus. But now these Jews stand in front of him in the flesh, and they cannot see him. Their Redeemer stands before them in flesh and blood, but they are deaf to his words and blind to his promises. All they want to do is take up rocks and kill him. But even to those who would kill him, Jesus speaks his gracious promise. Whoever keeps my word will never see death. That means keeping his word is more than just putting it on the shelf and keeping it safe. It means holding fast to it, guarding it, protecting it. It means that you, with the help of God, hold fast to this Christ and that you suffer all, even even death, rather than fall away from him. Whoever does this with the promises of Jesus, that person will never see death. And Jesus seals this promise with an oath. Our English translation says, truly, truly. But Jesus literally says, amen, amen. Do you hear his gracious promise to you? Christ himself solemnly promises that all those with his word will absolutely never see death for all eternity. He is the God who raises the dead, and he has given you all good things. He has given you his only son. And so how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? That's the kind of God worthy of sacrifice. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. In the peace of God, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.